Hello, my name is Bob Bamber and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. We're going back in the time machine to September of 1996 for Volume 3 of this month's show. Volume 1 takes you to WCW looking at Fall Brawl. Volume 2 to the WWF looking at In Your House Mind Games. And Volume 4 is our latest trip to the UFC. We're here in Volume Number 3 where I'm joined for ECW by Kieran Mitchell. Kieran, hello. Evening, Bob. And I'm being joined by Chris Lacey. Chris, hello. How do you, Bob? Now, Chris... Last time I was on the show, we had a normal news segment, uh, and now we don't, um, because you and Del kind of ruined it, but I think we are where we are now. Just to formally say that Chris is now properly in charge of ECW shows going forward, I, I am here in theory as guest host, if you like. Um, but Chris, as I understand it, I meant to throw some quote-unquote headlines at you, and then you're going to tell me what's happened, is that right? That is how it's been going. Right. Okay, headline number one. Mainstream television on American Journal. What's all that about? So, um, can't really find out too much because of it being in America and we don't have it over here in the UK. But ECW was on the American mainstream TV channel on the show called American Journal. Um, During this show, a segment was shown all about ECW. And in that, they showed uh, highlights of a street fight, which they used slow motion footage of. Um, to which Paul Heyman was said that he absolutely loved it, how it came out, and it looked awesome, and it's built some more buzz around the company. Shane Douglas collapses backstage at When Worlds Collide. So, um, there was rumours of Shane Douglas collapsing after his match at the World When Worlds Collide show. Um, the injuries have been sustained to his neck and his back, and these are believed to have happened while he was at the gym. Um, the severity isn't known, but he hasn't been taking any time off TV or off the on the road, so I would imagine it's nothing too serious. The biggest show in the ECW history will take place in November at November to Remember, but will not be their first pay-per-view. As we have been waiting for the pay-per-view debut of ECW, we will have to wait longer. Um, ECW have announced that they are having more space in the ECW arena for the November to Remember show show in November, um, but it will not be in time for the pay-per-view deal. That building can't get any bigger, can it? I would imagine <laughs> they can only put, put extra people in somewhere. I, I swear don't know how they're squeezing them in. Say we, we've expanded the ECW arena. Like the building's the same size. Um, but you know, they, they managed to make it work. And last, but by no means least, ECW appearing on WWF television. So at the In Your House pay-per-view, uh, this month, Sandman, Paul Heyman and Tommy Dreamer have all been found in the front row. Um, there was a bit of a kerfuffle with them in the front row during the Justin Hawk, Bradshaw and Savio Vega strap match. Um, they were all p- taken away from the arena, but obviously seen and the crowd chanting for ECW. On the following night's Monday Night Raw, Taz and Bill Alfonso jump the guardrails and cut involved whilst the tag team title match is on between Owen Hart and Bulldog and British Bulldog. Um, again, Taz is there with his usual sign of Sabu fears Taz and Alfonso with his whistle, but again, very quickly got rid of and a jump cut taken place on the TV taping. 
Uh, Kieran, any thoughts on any of the news? Uh, really intrigued with the appearance of the, what they're going to do with the ECW guys and WWF. Um, the Hawk Bradshaw and Savio Vega obviously uh, seemed quite surprised that they were there. Um, it'd just be interesting to see if anything comes up. Maybe that is there going to be some cross-promotional thing at our WWF? in on it or did the ECW guys just turn up off their own back so it'd be interesting going forward to see what happens with that well the ECW guys definitely didn't just turn up off their own back uh, for, for as a quick cross uh, cross promotion uh, you can hear us discuss this kind of in uh, as it happens on the uh, WWF volume 2 this month if you haven't listened to that already uh, as I understand it and this is my knowledge of the WWF angle of the story uh, this is basically initially just a two night thing happened once on the pay-per-view and once the day after um, and basically the idea was just to try and one create some extra interest around the TV and you'll hear why that didn't work for a whole other host of reasons uh, on volume two uh, but also just to try and quell the pro ECW um, you know kind of fan base in Philadelphia for the pay-per-view itself. Um, as to what's going to happen going forward, interesting to see, because uh, I can't imagine it's one and done, um, but I don't know where they take it forward, but as we discussed in the WWF show, WWF need anything they can get right now, and if it's some kind of quote-unquote invasion from ECW, a la the NWO, maybe, um, there's a lot of talented wrestlers in ECW that WWF in the short term could probably benefit from. Chris, any more thoughts on that? Well, um, as you said, it all depends on how it all plays out. Um, it could be beneficial on both sides. You know, if ECW were to, say, get a couple of WWF names in to build up house numbers, especially if they're not doing it in the ECW arena, um, that could sort of be beneficial to them financially. And obviously, if they can get seen on mainstream TV and on a bigger audience, obviously it gives them more exposure. So, in theory, for ECW, it's win-win. Um, it would be the WWF side, I think, would be taking more of the risk on that. Yeah, I can't, I'd, I'd, I'd say off the back of that, or piggyback off that, Chris, is I can't, I just, one thing I would say is I can't see them doing ECW-style brawls on WWF. So, it kind of, if you're not going to go the whole way with the invasion angle, Bob, I don't really see the, well, I can see the point in getting new eyes on WWF, but other than that, if you're not going to go all the way with it, I can't really see the point. Yeah, um, it'd be an intro, you know, um, it would be interesting. I, I, I'm intrigued to see what happens mm. next. But in terms of ECW television, Chris, it doesn't get mentioned at all, does it? I mean, I know they, they tape, shows get taped in advance, and this happened kind of on the 22nd of September, but I don't think it makes any of the ECW TVs, does it? It is, is not mentioned if it wasn't for the fact of, obviously, knowing it from the WF side, you wouldn't know it happened if you just watched ECW. Interesting to see what happens in October. Now, yeah, some... Yeah, I like the new new segment. I don't think we could transition it across as WF or WCW because it would take about an hour in the show. Um, but I like the more free form format, and it does substitute some discussion that we could perhaps have 
we would perhaps have at the end of the show. A couple of bits of admin. Firstly, Chris is now the man in charge. This is a really weird show, this, because uh, I'm a late substitute presenting. Chris is in charge doing his bit, and Kieran's going to ch- jump in with some TV reports as well. It's a bit all over the place. We're kind of making it up as we go along. Second thing to say is we are now on Patreon. For those who don't know, Patreon is a system. If you would like, you can chuck us a few quid, a few bucks each month just to say thank you for, I would say, enlightening you. But, you know, it's, a, it's up and down when this show comes in terms of good wrestling stuff. But if you enjoy the show and you listen to it, you like to chuck us a couple of quid back. We are offering early access to the shows uh, for five bucks a month. That basically just means when we record them, edit them, we'll put them on Patreon before they go live at the end of the month. I'll plug that more at the end, but if you want to find out more, it's patreon.com forward slash wrestling 20 YRS and the link is in the description. Right, uh, we've got a show to hack together. Uh, we were going to do When Worlds Collide, but that the, the, the take we got of that show was a bit up and down. Uh, we got about four matches out of about ten, so that wasn't ideal. And the big matches on that show do appear on TV. So basically, to go through TV, I'm a late substitute presenting. So, Kieran, Hello. it's over to you for some of the TV, and then I'm going to do some play-by-play. Chris is going to chip in with some content. It's the proper team after this. Uh, but, Kieran, start with September 3rd TV. You know, Francine, right now, everybody's sitting at home with their stale potato chips on their bellies, their warm beer sitting next to them, and they're all in front of the boob tube watching the Jerry Lewis Labor Day telethon, hoping they might get a glimpse of football on their own. <laughs> they're all hoping that those kids at home, all the lame kids at home, pick a pencil up in their mouth and scrawl out a note to Jerry Lewis saying, please, Mr. Lewis, please. Raise just one more stinking dollar because that buck might make the difference between whether Pitbull number one, Gary Wolf, ever wrestles again or not. You see, the swim from the island behind me, for a franchise, that's nothing more than a light workout. But for you, Gary Wolf, it is something that you will never do. Spending the day at the beach, oh, that might not be strenuous, but for you, Gary, it's something that you can never do. Strenuous? <laughs> Spend the day with you, sweetheart. Now that's strenuous. <laughs> Gary, you can't do this either. <laughs> oh, but I can. <laughs> okay, Bob. So we start the TV on the 3rd of September, 1996. We've got a promo by the lake with Shane Douglas and Francine wearing not very much. Basically here, they're calling out Gary Wolf the pit bull, who they've injured, severe neck injury. Uh, and Douglas is suggesting that the pit bull may never wrestle again. Constantly making light of the pit bull's plight um, and, you know, sort of basically burying the guy. Uh, we cut to a highlight package of the Douglas and pit bull feud that this has come from. It leads into another Douglas and Francine promo with Joey Styles. This time, Douglas is reminding the pit bull of what he has actually taken from him including the belt and, indeed, his woman, Francine. We now go to a video package of Doug Furness and Rob Van Dam picking their dream partners, quote-unquote, for the upcoming tag match when worlds collide. Van Dam tells Furness he needs to learn some respect. We get a short segment where Van Dam tells Heyman in no uncertainty that Sabu has to be his tag partner for when worlds collide. We shift the highlights of the cat fight 1996 between Missy Hyatt and Laurie Fullington. The catfight goes a slightly different way than normal when Gertner, Gertner ended up suffering a barrage of kendo sticks attacks from Hyatt and the Sandman. 
Stevie Richards then instructs Hyatt to denounce the Sandman in order for the lawsuit he has on her to be dropped. Sandman responds by hitting Hyatt with the kendo stick. Before the next match can start, we hear from Taz who, upon learning of Van Damme's choice of tag partner, tells both him and Sabu they will be suffering a beatdown soon enough. Uh, and this replays throughout the show with Taz constantly popping up, you know, putting over the fact of how angry he is that um, Van Damme has chosen Sabu. Next, we get the match between Devon Storm and Luis Spicoli. There's some good action in this match with Spicoli dealing out a beating for the most part. Uh, it ends with Spicoli giving Storm what Styles calls a fireman buster, but would later be known as the Death Valley Driver. We now come to the match between Taz and Tommy Dreamer, but first Taz has something to say and some bad news to relay. Taz tells the crowd that despite Dreamer's usual extreme techniques, they'll see none of that as Dreamer is about to be out-wrestled by Taz. During the match itself, Styles makes constant references as to how angry Taz is about the situation between himself, Van Damme and Sabu. Kieran, is this where I come in and do some play-by-play? It is indeed. Okay. Chris, is this right? I don't know. We're making this yes. up as we go along. Yes, right. it is. Sorry. Okay. Sorry, Bob. Yes. It's all right. It's all right. Back in. This is, I, I love this show. It's great. It's, we, need more show, we need more shows where we've just got no idea what's going on. Right. Taz, here we go. Taz with, um, uh, what's his name? Bill Alfonso versus Tommy Dreamer. I got some bad news for you people. I got some very bad news. You see, every time Dreamer comes out here and wrestles someone, he's breaking tables, breaking chairs, busting his ass on somebody's crutches, busting somebody's ass on a pole. Well, I'll tell you what, you people are not even going to see a chair shot. You're not going to see a table break. You ain't going to see... Thing. The only thing you're going to get to see is Tommy Dreamer get out wrestled by the human suplex machine. So Dreamer, get your ass out here so I can stretch you. Taz opens up by slamming Dreamer into the guardrail and again. Back in the ring he runs at him but Tommy hits a drop toe hold and a hip toss. Dreamer is favoring his arm. Fans chant, fuck him up, Dreamer, fuck him up. We get a bit of chain wrestling. Taz goes for the arm, though I think it's the wrong one. Dreamer comes off the ropes, slides between Taz's legs and pokes him in the bollocks. Tommy hits the belly to back. It looks like he's out on his arse here. Taz goes for a leg lace and a chin lock. Alfonso is going fucking nuts with his whistle. We see that Tommy has taped ribs. Taz hits a T-bone suplex. He then does a lovely reverse bow and arrow with a bridge. Taz's entourage hold Dreamer on the guardrail and Taz hits him with a chair. Dreamer rallies, hits a bulldog onto the chair. Dreamer covers Taz who gets his foot on the ropes. Taz goes for a belly to belly from the second rope. Tommy pushes him off, goes to the top, then does a dive onto Team Taz, all five of them on the floor. Then a table gets introduced. Tommy props up the table on the apron, does the baseball slide onto it, flattening Team Taz. He then goes to the other side and baseball slides into Alfonso, who's holding a chair by his face. Taz takes control with a German suplex. He gets a chair. The referee takes it off of him. So Taz hits a T-bone suplex on him too. 
Taz props off a table in the corner, then does a belly to belly suplex, putting Tommy through it. Fans chant ECW, and now I'll take you back to the recording edit of this show. Tommy recovers quite quickly, goes for a DDT, but Taz counters and locks in a Taz mission. The ref is out, so this basically ends up as a no contest. Bueller climbs in the ring, begs him to stop, but Alfonso pushes her into the corner and grabs a chair. Right on cue, here's Terry Gordy. The Eliminators follow out in hot pursuit and take out Gordy. Primetime Brian Lee, Brian Lee then puts the Adriatic Spike onto Gordy. The Eliminators um, start eliminating everyone, jobbers, referees, bad crew, everyone. Out comes Bob Ray, he rallies, but then walks straight into a massive choke slam from Brian Lee. Now Dudley takes a total elimination. Out comes Hack Myers, he takes on all four of them, but runs into a suplex from Chaz for getting a total elimination of his own. Chris, just the usual ECW chaos after, I thought, a quite decent match. See, we'll, we'll sort of do this in two parts. Obviously, we've got the match which was really, really good sort of actual wrestling match. There was some there's a bit of hardcore in there which you'd expect, obviously with the tables getting used. But you've got Taz lobbing Tommy around with perfect suplexes. You've got Dream with, with a amazing babyface comeback. And then you get the ECW aspect of just everyone in and the eliminators hitting some Picture perfect, awesome total eliminations on anyone that moves. Welcome to ECW. Kieran. Oh, I bloody love this, I do. I think this is, e- this is easily like the, if there's a quintessential feud that I'd want to see for like ever. It, I know it would go forever because that'd be daft, but it'd be Tommy Dreamer and Taz. Because like Chris said, Tommy Dreamer is just that perfect baby face. He's the perfect baby face for ECW as well. And you've got Taz, who's just like this... He's just like a fucking wrecking machine. He's so good. I think it was... The, is it the, Was it the T-Bone one? I can't... Anyway, what, any of his suplexes you could pick out. And then at the end, you get my you get a brawl, which I don't mind. I've got used to over the, you know, over the couple of years I've been doing ECW. And then I get my favourite finisher, which is a total elimination. So I just loved all of it, Bob. Yeah, um, the match was really nice. You know, like it feels weird talking about wrestling and praising a match for staying predominantly in the ring. But when we're covering ECW, we kind of have to because that's not a given. Um, but this was by and large in the ring, and it never really spilled outside for very long with both of them. Dreamer went out at one point, and Taz did attacking against the guardrail once or twice. But a, a 70-80% in-ring match is quite high for ECW. And the action in the ring was good, and it's nice to see, you know, a match where one guy is going in suffering. You don't often see that very much in, in either of the big two promotions. And Taz likely beat the piss out of him. Dreamer clung on. No, okay, we didn't get finished, but an ECW finishes, man. I mean, less and less. And then just your usual chaos. You know, just one guy after another, after another. Just, you know, it got the crowd excited. You were there in person. That's a fun thing to see. Um, I don't know. You know, it's it's weird. We're usually re- reviewing that kind of a final match or late in the show, having seen a lot more beforehand. So I don't know whether we're just more positive because this is 15 minutes into the show, into this recording, and this is like one of the the, the main event of the first telly. But this yeah. worked, I think. Uh, Chris, any more? No, I think you pretty between the two of you, you pretty much covered everything. Excellent, um, Kieran. Back to you for the next lot of TVs. So we cut to the. 10th of September, 96. Uh, we open, as always, short recap of last week's TV. 
Um, and then it's straight onto the aftermath of this beatdown where Terry Gordy is being loaded onto a stretcher with damage control in tow. We then go to Joey Styles, who then relays Gordy's current plight and part of the story of how Terry came into ECW. It gives it a nice bit of background, I thought, this bit, Bob. So, basically, Joey Styles is going through telling you, you know, the injuries that Gordy suffered, what it's taken for him to get here, sort of trying to, you know, trying to get the guy over, which I thought was really good. Uh, we now go to the no rules bad street match between Gordy and Brian Lee. Unfortunately, after this decent build that Joey Styles gives Gordy, the it's just the standard ECW ECW brawl, which is kind of be expected when it's a no rules bad street match. Uh, we go all around the massive ECW arena. Um, the match ends when Gordy pins Lee with his Asiatic spike submission move. Again, Styles after match tried to get us into the mind, back into the mind of Gordy and how, how the beatdown of last week affected Gordy's state of mind. Again, trying to build the guy up really good. Which uh, is quite hard with this one is because obviously this match was in this show, uh, uh Natural One Killers before the Taz thing at the end. So obviously <laughs> he won this match before the brawl at the end. Right. Which, you know, when you put it in the TV the week behind, it does sort of not really help fulfil a story. I need, you need, basically, what I think we need to do, we all need to get PhDs to watch ECW then, don't we? <laughs> Again, Styles tries to get us into the mind of Gordy and how the beatdown of last week would affect Gordy's state of mind. We then cut to Tommy Dreamer calling out the Eliminators and Brian Lee and challenging them to a six-man tag with him, Gordy and Dr. Death, Steve Williams. Crowd gives a massive pop for this announcement from Dreamer. Uh, the main match of the episode is next and pits Bubba Ray, Big Dick Dugley against Devon and Axel Rotten. As one might guess, again, this is a brawl from the outset and again goes all over the massive arena. The finish comes when Devon inadvertently hits his partner with a chair and Bubba gets the cover. After the match, the team still go at it somewhat and we even get an altercation between the team, quote-unquote, of Rotten and Devon. We then go to highlights and recap of the situation between the Sandman and Raven. Inside this woman's body began the constant evolution of the Sandman's successor. For nine months, she gave from her own body the nurturing that this helpless, dependent being growing inside her body needed. And from this womb, Begat an heir, a male heir, to the Fullington lineage. A living, breathing embodiment of the Sandman's immortality. The blood of his blood, the flesh of his flesh. The continuation of his chromosomes, of the bloodline of the Fullington family name. And as his heritage was passed down to him by his father, James, who was entrusted with the continuance of the family name by his father, David, and his father before him, and his father before him. Unlike me, I was disowned by my family, denied my birthright, and forced to create my own existence from my own personal turmoil. This woman created life 
but fate determined it would not be to me, but to another. And so it was written, and so it came to pass that James and Lori Fullington, James and Lori Fullington, would have a son, Tyler, and he would be given the inalienable right and the undeniable privilege to have bestowed upon him parents that wanted him. No matter how hateful, how vicious, how violent, and how irreparable the differences between them are, the bond between a father and a son can never be broken. Until now. We head to promo with Raven and Laurie Fullington. Raven talks about the birth of the heir to Sandman's heritage and how he had to find his own path. The ultimate goal for Raven seems to be to sever the ties between Sandman and his son Tyler. A really effective Raven promo once again with some... There's some overly creepy vibes to these which at the mid the, the they're running like a really fine line between it becoming a bit jokey and you know trying to keep it sort of real quote unquote but at the minute i think it's working really well with this tyler fullington stuff we then get a recap from styles about sabu and van damme teaming up uh promo from shane douglas and the lovely franzine also in tow special guest that being gary wall's physical therapist apparently uh, this therapist is all business and no personality. He's about as edgy as a satsuma. Douglas continues to take shots at the pit bull by stating he can't even doggy paddle in the pool. We end with promos from Alfonso, Bubba Ray and Shane Douglas with clips of Gary Wolf in his neck brace. Random is random. Right at the end, we also get Divine Brown, who people may remember, I think, was sucking off Hugh Grant or something, something like that. And she's telling us she isn't even as hardcore as ECW. Straight on to the next game, I think. We then go to the next TV, 17th of September 1996. We open with highlights and a recap of Raven and Sandman feud, including Tyler in an eerie rendition of Raven's pose. Again, reiterate, this is really good for me at the minute. It's sort of like got this kind of scary, creepy, haunted child vibe to it. We get a video of Tyler Fullerton's seventh birthday party. Again, some some really good stuff in here when Raven sort of flips out. The Blue Meanie trying to act as like the clown of the party, the entertainment, quote-unquote, probably not so good. And we get highlights of the gangsters and Eliminators cage match and interference from Shane Douglas. Shane Douglas, huh. We forgot about you. You know what the gangster's all about. You done seen <laughs> what we done done to people, and you know what we can do to people. The three fingers... They gonna get broke when you least expect it. Me and Mustafa gonna grab that little pretty little face of yours, boy, and we gonna put you through a meat grinder. You understand? When you coming through an airport, you better watch your back. When you getting on a plane, you better watch your back. When you get in your bed, you better get on your knees and peep up under the bed to make sure me and Mustafa ain't laying up under there. We gonna get you, you little pretty. Some more gangsters. We gonna give you your props. You came to the show all cut up, stitches, bandaged up, but you had nuts enough <laughs> to get in the ring with us. We're going to give you a tighter shot. 
<laughs> the first chance we get, we gonna give you a tighter shot. Because we gonna give you props. You deserve a tighter shot. But when we give it to you, bet it up. You're going down. We're gonna kick your ass again. <laughs> Boing. <laughs> we then get a street level promo from the gangsters who tell Douglas that they haven't forgotten about him after his uh, interference in that cage match and that he better be watching his back at all times. We also learn that the gangsters are giving the Samoan suicide party a title shot when they are ready to go. We get a recap of the Spicoli-Douglas TV title match from When Worlds Collide. Match is a close one, but Douglas prevails over Louis with a belly-to-belly suplex after interference from Francine. We end with an after-match promo from Douglas from Francine. It begins, however, with an argument over who will actually conduct the interview between Lance Wright and Joel Gertner. Lance Wright attacks Gertner, but Douglas intervenes and attacks Wright with a full Nelson. Help then comes in the form of Pitbull 2. We go off the air with Joey Styles screaming for a stretcher for his friend Lance Wright. When are we going to do the match view with Shane and Spicoli? Did you not have a play for, say- play for that? Well, I've got that, but I was going to, yeah, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to how hodgepodge this show is. Kieran, that was on this show, right? Yes. They, they showed the whole match. I was going to say, it was, it was less about Kieran not teaming me up, more about the fact he just didn't seem to mention it. Um, but Kieran, this is on this show, correct? Because uh, he mentions it, he sort of goes, he t- said that he won by the belly to belly and then sort of went straight into the end. Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> oh, fuck's sake. Over to, over to, it's all right. This is staying in. Over to me for the match review of Louis McCauley versus Shane Douglas <laughs> from Worlds Collide. I need a drink. Uh, <laughs> yeah. All right. Louis McCauley versus Shane Douglas for the with Francine for the ECW World TV title. Shane gets given a pink Shawn Michaels tee. He spits on it and throws it back. They throw it back and, well, it just disappears. Uh, we get a lot of story. Douglas eventually tells the fans to shit that shit down, shit down and <laughs> shut the fuck up. <laughs> Douglas eventually gets angry enough to want to leave. Spicoli tells him on the mic he's going to kick the fuck out of him. And then Douglas comes back. You, you, usual wrestling 101. <laughs> he'll threaten to leave. Bayface says something pithy and he'll goes, all right, I'll come back. Um, Spicoli gets on top. Douglas scarpers to the outside and then calls for a timeout. Fans chant, little dick at Douglas and she's a whore at Francine. I think they then start a little Shane has got no balls doodah <laughs> chant. And- they do. <laughs> they do. It's the one thing the ECW fans do have is great wit Good with timing. their banter. Yeah. I'd love to see that in your house thing. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Little Undertaker's got no balls. Yeah. <laughs> it's all Spicoli, so Douglas hits a low blow and a reverse atomic drop. He rallies out of a headlock submission and nearly gets it with a roll-up. Spicoli hits a neck breaker, and that looked great for a near fall. Francine jumps on the apron to go Spicoli. He goes after her, but Douglas hits a nice baseball slide off of the distraction. Douglas attacks on the outside, dumps Spicoli into the fans, then goes onto the turnbuckle, and hits a nice crossbody over the guardrails of the floor. Spicoli recovers and dumps a chair over Douglas's head. Franz chants, she's got herpes, loudly at Francine. 
Douglas goes for a tombstone. Spicardi reverses, but cannot rotate it, so Douglas basically ends up lying on top of him. Spicardi hits a lovely spine buster for a real nice near fall, then a northern nice suplex for another near fall. Douglas has got to Douglas has got the market cornered for kicking out late tonight. Spicardi sets to the Death Valley driver. Douglas grabs the ropes as Spicardi just dumps him to the outside. We go to the outside. Spicardi props the table up against the guardrail, but Douglas slams him headfirst into it. Back in the ring, Spicardi goes for a Death Valley driver. Francine jumps in the ring and enables Douglas to hit a neckbreaker. They're selling Spicardi has a neck injury. Douglas then hits a belly-to-belly suplex, and that's enough to retain the title in apparently 19 minutes. Match ends with Spicardi being attended to by medics and ring crew. Chris? This reminds me of why we were loving Shane Douglas before he went and was torn apart as Dean Douglas. This was Shane back to his pre-WWF best. And the crowd was so hot with their hate for him, their hate for Francine. And against Louis Spicoli, who's not been about for very long, they they sort of were, were into the match all the way through and sort of actually cared, which is something that you can't always say for the ECW crowds. Um, in the ring, again, as I said, Douglas back to his best and Spicoli, I don't know how long he's been about or where he's come from before his ECW run, but I haven't seen anything but good from him and he continues to impress every time. So I will quite happily see him kicking around for a bit longer. Kieran? Yeah, very good. Like Chris said, it's just back to his best. The stalling at the beginning, he gets massive heat. He gets in the ring. Shane Douglas is class. His promos are class. Everything about the guy is class. Spicoli is a bit of a, a you know a bit of a revelation, like Chris said. He seems to have come out of nowhere. Um, and unlike other people who have come in that we've seen before, Bob and ECW TV, the crowd doesn't jump on Spicoli straight away. Maybe because he's so good. There's nothing overtly gimmicky about his character. So it's obviously um, I, th- I think it's more to do with them really hating Douglas than them actually buying into Spicoli, but I think there's enough we've seen from Spicoli that they can buy into later on. Um, but overall, I just really enjoyed this match again, but like I said, it's Douglas is just class. Yeah, um, this is just about the best Shane, uh, you know, other than the, the Douglas ripping those really, really good promos a couple of years ago, this is probably the best version of Shane Douglas we've seen. Um, you know, comes out, gets a lot of heat, and you know, in ECW that ain't always easy, as we know. And and you know, I, I've been on and off ECW shows this year, but I, I, I'm a big fan of how Douglas has pivoted from when he returned in January and didn't get like a Chris. I don't recall him getting a massive hero's welcome, but he came back as a baby face, and for a while he was kind of the EC, the face of ECW, rallying against everyone else, wasn't he? Was that right? Well, there was the whole thing with him and Foley uh, when he first came back, and then he turned on Cactus Jack, and then obviously we've had this thing against the Pitbulls, who the Pitbulls have become an ECW stalwart and favourites. So he sort of automatically got heat from that. And it's been since he's had Francine and the breaking of the neck. is It's just nu- it's nuclear, isn't it? The heat, he, the heat. He's rocketed. But this was 
a really, really fun match to watch. I agree about Spicoli, like, you know, in a, in, in a, in a room full of gimmicks, he's, he's quite gimmickless. Um, but that's kind of the, that's kind of the point is that he's just a bit of a bruiser. Um, and him and Douglas mesh really, really well here. This is the kind of match I really enjoy. Just two guys that are just going to hit each other. There's a real nice balance, a lot of heat, which helps. And, yeah, two big thumbs up from me. Kieran, any more? I know we said a lot, but... Well, I just just extra points for the crowd chance. Yeah. Know, whores, herpes, and plenty of hate. Yeah. Can't go wrong. Chris, any more? I, I feel we've covered it well. And it, it said it's on the TV. Go out of your way to watch this. Yeah, do it. Excellent, excellent. Right, Kieran, show number four. I think we've got two matches that I've got play-by-play for, so if you want to tee me up when they come round, then I can uh, take us through it. I think we've got two. We've definitely got one. There's Sam and Devon, Gangsters, FBI, and then the tag match. Well, I don't have Gangsters and FBI, but I've got the other two. So, uh, Chris, have you seen the Gangsters, FBI thing, or is that just a segment, isn't it? It's basically the gangsters come in and start smacking people with the usual level of shit that they come to the ring with. This show is basically just one long production meeting, folks. This is this is what, <laughs> this say, is what we normally this is what we normally saw out long before which, which, show which, time. Which tag match was it? Sabu, RVD, Ernest oh, Good God. You yeah. mean you mean like the really really good tag match, Kieran? Which tag match was it? Right, yeah. Kieran, o- over to you. Um, Team me up for the Sandman match and the tag match, and Chris can say a few things about the other one in the middle. Okay, for the last TV of the month, Bob, we get a recap straight away of the Devon Storm versus Sandman from when Worlds Collide match. So there you go. Oh, to me, there we go, straight away. Okay. Um. <laughs> Right, we're introduced to Julio Cesar Valentino Alfonso, uh, a manager and first cousin of Bill Alfonso. God, bloody hell. Reuniting the bad crew and Dave <laughs> Seven Storm. This, Kieran, did this bit air on TV? Because I'm going off my One Worlds Collide notes. It, it did. It did, yeah. Right, okay. Okay, this is what will make sense to people listening then. Uh, reuniting the bad crew and Dangerous Devon Storm. Storm gets the fun of facing Sandman. So here we go. It's Dangerous Devon Storm with bad crew and Julio Cesar Valentino Alfonso versus the Sandman. Storm starts with a somersault planche of the Sandman on the outside. He follows that with some cane shots. Bad crew gets some shots in too. It's basically three on one. Bad crew sits Sandman on a chair on the outside. Storm hits a running elbow off the apron, taking Sandman down. Storm takes his time getting on the top rope. As he comes off of it, Sandman catches him with a cane shot and then just starts swinging. Four on number, four on one numbers game eventually catches up with him. Storm returns to the top and it's a lovely moonsault. Alfonso goes to make the count, but Sandman just picks up a cane and smacks him with it. Then he goes berserk, a cane shot, a DDT, and Sandman pins Storm as the referee comes to. Kieran? Uh, Sandman's really over still. That's my first note. There's not much else in the match is a couple of good moves by Devon Storm but again because it's Sandman I'm already kind of bored before the match starts but like I said the guy's still over Bob you can't argue with that but overall I didn't really enjoy this match Chris it is Sandman being Sandman um, he has a bit of a hiding he comes back and he batters people with the cane and Julio Alfonso that cane shot he takes to his ear when he's there doing the pin, ouch. (laughs) 
that really did not look like that was a pleasant one. Um, I did love the fact that he did turn it into a three-on-one handicap match and pinned all of them by hitting them all with DDTs after, you know, in pinning everyone in turn. So does he get three winner's checks for that? I'd be surprised if he gets one, knowing ECW, but yeah. Uh, Kieran, I think we're back to you. I don't have much more to add other than to say it's the usual Sandman stuff. It's quite fun. I can't imagine it's great getting hit by cane shots, but you know, if you wanted to do it, I'll, I'll more than happily watch it. All right. You're into that, Bob. Anyway, so we get highlights of Gary Wolf's injury angle, including promos by Douglas and Francine and the Pitbulls again. We then get a recap of the uh, FBI versus Gangsters from Wells Collide tag match. Uh, We then get a recap of the Sabu Van Damme versus Furnace and Crawford match. I think we're going to talk about that, Bob. A recap. I assume you see it in full, right? It is in full. Yes. Right. Okay. I'm back up. Here we go. It's Doug Furnace and Dan Crawford versus Sabu and Rob Van Damme. Chris, the the story. I I had a little. Yeah. For once, we're not running that long. So a little segue. I had a little thing. You know about the logic of Van Damme asking Sabu to be his partner. I know this this played out in August. Mm. It all felt a bit weak. To me, like you know, Sabu's now been a great one for tag teams. We don't see that a lot. It doesn't really make sense for him to accept it. And why would Van Dam ask? I, I, I'm guessing, you know, someone who's listened to the ECW show but not seen all of that. I'm guessing Van Dam, you know, and I know that he had, you know, he needed an opponent for a tag team opponent for those two. But Chris, can you try and fill in the logic as to why so, Sabu would be his partner? So it all it all starts from that initial bit where Sandman and RVD had the match, and Sandman and RVD wouldn't shake Sabu's hand. Um, basically, they then had the the respect match, which ended up with uh, the the stretchers, and obviously at that point, RVD learned respect from Sabu, um, and because he now has respect from Sabu. When Furnace refused to shake his hand after the match and showed him no respect, he went to the person that taught him respect. And as such, we have this tag team partnership. That is... Okay, so, so that, that's a good explanation as to what RVD asked. Did they ever fill in the point of where Sabu said yes? No. The only, he's, mental. The, he's, he's mental, Bob. He's mental. Well, that's true. There, there is that, that, you know, he is unhinged. <laughs> but... You know, in in real terms, there was never a definitive showing of why Sabu has said yes. The only thing we see is obviously earlier in the month when RVD goes to Paul Heyman and goes, I'm going to tag with your boy. You've got to make him fucking do it. And that seems to be good enough. I think they've tried to flesh it out a bit more, Bob, by trying to factor in Taz as well into the story about how pissed off he is that Van Damme went to Sabu. I don't know whether that's going to go anywhere. I hope it. I hope it does, and we get some three-way or something down the line. But there's yeah, that to factor in as well. There's big matches with both of those guys. There, I think at the end we'll talk about prospects in November to remember. And I'm assuming that's Taz versus Sabu. But right, match review talk. Sorry, Chris, you was going to say? I was just going to say. Obviously, the Taz thing has just come out of the fact of Taz and Sabu, or Sabu won't fight Taz. So. You know, there's that whole, he has no respect for anyone else, so why would he have respect for RVD? But again, this is ECW, logic doesn't always have to dictate any reason or rhyme. 
doesn't always dictate. We start with actual tag rules and a clean break. Van Damme provokes Furnace, so Furnace lathers him with a lariat. Hits a running uppercut that sends Van Damme to the outside. Sabu tags in, hits a spin kick on Crawford, and then a baseball slide. Van Damme lobs Sabu a chair, who unfolds it and does his triple jump off the top rope before hitting a double axe handle. Furnace locks in a horrid-looking vertical Watson crab as... I don't know why I'm there. Some kind of boiler. Um, horrible-looking vertical Boston crab. Sabu gets to the ropes. Sabu comes off the ropes and goes on. Sabu and Van Damme are working together pretty well. Furnace hits the slam on Van Damme. Van Damme tags in Sabu by slapping him in the chest. I may have spoken too soon, but I'm going together pretty well. Crawford does a lovely roll into a leg lock. Sabu recovers and bobs the tear, does the triple jump. Pirouettes on the top rope and then does an elbow drop back onto Furnace in the middle of the ring. Then it's an Arabian face buster for a two. Van Damme doesn't want the tag. Crawford takes advantage. Van Damme gets in, but Crawford and Furnace double team in. With Furnace and Crawford on the outside, Sabu slaps Van Damme twice, offers out the handshake, then uses that to propel him over the top rope onto the pair. That was really nice. Yeah, Sabu really slaps good. Van Damme, offers out the handshake, Van Damme kind of puts his art there, Sandman, Sabu grabs him and just like yanks him over the top rope. That worked really well. Crawford bridges a lovely double unhook submission. Sabu counters a butterfly suplex into a backdrop, uh, but cannot get tagged as Furnace hits a belly to belly. Sabu hits a hurricane rider from the top. Crawford barely even needs two to kick out and hit a lovely belly to back suplex. Bandam hits a standing move stop for a two, then hits a guillotine leg drop onto Furnace. Lays him on a table, laying across the ring and the guardrail. Bandam tells Sabu to go and get him. Sabu goes for a triple jump splash. Sabu slips on the ropes and crotches himself. Joey is trying to convince us that Van Damme shook the ropes. If you say so, Joey. Replay store to show that. Van Damme puts Furnace for a table. Then Crawford takes out Sabu and there are bodies everywhere. Furnace runs into a big boot. Van Damme hits a split-legged moonsault, but only for two. Van Damme hits a double underhook phase buster. Van Damme turns his back to Furnace and hits a release German suplex that Van Damme flips all the way over in. Crawford hits a tiger driver onto a chair out on the Van Damme. Sabu hits a big splash off the top to break up the pin. Sabu hits a triple jump moonsault for a two and gets hit with a Frankenstein, which Van Damme has to break up the pin off. Crawford smashes a chair off of Van Damme's back and hits a belly to back suplex from the second rope. Joey infers that as a Tazplex, which is a bit of a stretch, but the idea being that Sabu is teething Taz's moves. Crawford locks in a rear naked choke. That's a bit more overt. Furnace puts Sabu in an electric chair. Crawford clotheslines him off, but Van Damme breaks up the pin. Sabu leathers Crawford with a chair, then hits an Arabian face buster. Still a two. Sabu hits another pirouette triple jump elbow drop. Van Damme hits a leg drop for a two. How is this match still going? Van Damme hits them both with chairs. He and Sabu then have a disagreement. Crawford hits a big super kick for a two. Van Damme hits a split-legged moonsault also for a two. Van Damme hits a splash from the top. Still a two. A German suplex on Van Damme. A two. A belly-to-back suplex on Sabu by Crawford. One, two. The bell rings and the time has run out. 30-minute time limit draw. I believe the edit that made TV was cut a bit shorter to edit out some of Sabu's fuck-ups, but I was able to see them all. Chris, what do you think about this? This was an amazing match. Um, for... Four very different styles of wrestler. 
um, this really, really gelled really well. Um, you've got RVD doing all of his flip-de-doo moves that he can attempt to get out. You've got Sabu doing new things like the triple jump back elbow. <laughs> that just came out of nowhere. I know it. You've got Furnace and Crawford, who just seem to like to hit people and throw them around, which I've always got time for that as a lover of the Steiner brothers. And, you know, all, all of it together works so well. The story uh, of the match, you know, both of them trying new things, trying sort of upping each other every time, but yet every time the kickouts, you know, not that not being enough. Um, I think worked really, really well. And the fact it went to a time limit draw does well for all four of them because it shows that they're all tough. You know, it gives that sort of that sense of realism that, you know, these guys can take a licking. Kieran? It was abs- absolutely brilliant. It's probably one of the best. I know I've just seen it and I've watched the, some other, but this is easily the best tag match I've seen in all my time watching ECW. Like Chris said, all four completely different guys. Sabu pulling out. That guy is just, they're just him and Van Damme are machines. And then Furnish really impressed me. I didn't know much about the other two at all. And they were so good. It's it's so rare that you get like a tag match where all four people actually bring something to the match, like but something like legitimately excellent. Well, and something different. They're all, yeah. four, even Furnace and Crawford, even guys that worked a lot in Japan are very different workers. And Sabu and Van Damme, we know are very different workers. It's like, the, 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 you know, the other two were so like stiff. Everything just, everything just felt like hard hitting and real. Unlike other ECW type hardcore brawl matches, we get again. We get a good mixture when they do the wrestling and they mix up with the hardcore. It's like this is when this promotion just like just it just blows your mind about what. And this is where I always come back to my point when I'm watching it is when ECW transcends, and it seems like it's out of time with the other promotions. Do you know what I mean? It's when it does matches like this. It's so far ahead. It's not even funny of the the other two when it's doing matches like this. When they do the standard stuff it can get a bit sort of boring and pedestrian. And then they do stuff like this. It's amazing. You made reference to like some of the psychology, Bob, or like the, you know, the stiffer tags or using the different tags. There was some really good psychology between Van Damme and Sabu. It's like, look, we don't like each other, mate, but we're going to have to get on with it because we've got a match to win. And I always love that sort of stuff. It's kind of a trope for, you know, putting enemies together in a tag match. But if it's done well, it works really well. And it adds another layer to the match. Um, and I'll just reiterate what Chris said about the ending. Perfect ending because all four guys looked absolutely fucked at the end. And it was just just a brilliant, brilliant match. Yeah, I mean, there's far too many things wrong with this match for it to be a five-star match. But I thought it was fucking brilliant. Just four guys that all offered something different, all doing, you know, all working their own skills in an environment that made sense. In a, you know, we've seen, we see so many tag match brawls. It's great to see ECW just having a real fun fucking tag match. All four of these guys are excellent. Let's say that. Sabu fucked up quite mm. a bit, but that's Sabu. That's kind of part of the gimmick. Um, you have to this, expect it when the sort of stuff that he does. 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. And to a point, like if you if you nailed everything, it'd be a bit weird. Like isn't that kind of, I, I, I think I think I think it helps. Like if Sabu's like it's the mankind thing. If Sabu's willing to risk himself, it kind of helps that it's a bit out of control. He, he, yeah, he, he can't be that hard on the guy, Bob, can you? When he's sort of like putting his literally like it's a good compare. I've never heard that comparison before, but it's perfect with. With, with mankind. Oh, God. Oh, yes. Very different style. They, they, they both dies with death on a regular basis inside the wrestling ring or outside. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, I, I don't know, there are plenty of problems with this match. One, I, you know, you can kind of tell it in my notes. There becomes a point where, you know, this match should have ended by now. Not for a time perspective, just because they beat the fuck out of each other. Like, at some point, you, you, you've got to head a sitting at some point, otherwise, what is everything else? Um, but with that in mind, this is a really fun match. Like, a, a, a match that I would urge you to go out and see, just because it's not the kind of match I think we're going to see anywhere else anytime soon. This isn't a Rey Mysterio psychosis type deal, where it's like, it's really good here, but you've got this in WCW at about 80% as good. You won't see this kind of match in WCW. You definitely You're not going to see the Smoking Guns and the Goldwins have a match like this. <laughs> no. It's the same genre of stuff. Um, let them let them try. Well, don't. Um, but I, I really, I really, I, I really like this match. As I said, there's a lot going against it. A lot of people are calling it like three and a half stars, and they're probably right. Oh, um, but it's a. Oh, well, I mean, oh, I mean, on. well, look, the, the whole star rating thing's overrated anyway. It's all about perfect matches. Yeah, and I, I'll give the rating system three out, three and a half out of five. Well, well, yeah, but I, I, I think like you, they might be right. Grading on that kind of scale, where it's all about drama and storytelling and perfect moves and doing everything right and that kind of thing. There's a lot going against it, but as a fun fucking match, this is right up there. Chris, any more? As I say, the only place I would imagine you would see anything that comes close to this would be Japan. Exactly. Well, that's because well, that—that was the—that's the game. Crawford and uh, Furnace are, 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 is it New Japan, Chris? Is that right? Yeah, they're in New Japan. So obviously, you know, if if you can do the tape trading and get yourself some New Japan and all Japan stuff, fill your boots. This is what you'll get regularly. But for an American audience, you ain't getting this anywhere else. Nope. No. No, I'd agree with that. Uh, Kieran, anything else from TV? Yeah, we get. Um, yeah, but we get a really another weird couple of promos by Dreamer and Raven. Basically, Dreamer was another bizarre one. To go along with like the Raven one where he was talking to Sandman about his, his legacy and his severing ties with his son, the Dreamer one, we've got, we got Bueller standing behind Dreamer and then dripping candle wax. So, yeah. And then it appears Dreamer's got glass in his fist. I mean, these promos are really effective. It's just strange how I don't sort of call bullshit on them or you don't think they look a bit hokey. I think it's because the guy, the guys are so good in this promotion with these promos that they just come off as effective. It's like if you, you take your first look at it, like with the Raven one and this Dreamer one, and you think, well, what the bloody hell? Candle wax on the back? Is it some sort of kinky thing? But no, it's all about the pain is pleasure type thing, which is something that both Sandman, Raven and Dreamer all seem to be sort of driving home is this pain is pleasure type angle. So a really weird, weird promo to end, but weird, but effective. 
Chris, uh, anything to input on that? Because I haven't seen the last two TVs of the matches. Anything to input on that or anything? Um, the only thing I can think of with that is obviously they are looking at maybe putting Raven with Tommy again for a little while to sort of not have him against Sandman as much. But the thing is, he's, Raven is the key of two very, very different but very, very <laughs> important and personal storylines in, in ECW at the minute. Because um, obviously you've got, he has his kid with Sandman and, you know, the Raven Tommy Dreamer storyline goes back to them being kids at camp and it's been going on for a while now and it still hasn't been resolved. So, <laughs> it's one of those of this is clearly, you know, what is best about Raven is that he can still have multiple storylines with multiple can, people. And he yeah. can keep you engaged in all of them, Chris, as well. Yes. That's, that's, his, that's his, that's his, it is. I'm not, I'm not going to sound melodramatic or whatever, but it's the way he engages you. It's just like, it's, it's amazing what Raven can do with, you know, sort of his promos and that. He just, he's, like you said, he's got two, these two major storylines. I mean, the dream, I mean, how long has the dream one going, been going on now? Uh, Jan- January, t- uh, January 95. Yes, as I said, it's at least a year and a half. Fuck. Yeah. Continuing the theme of the on-air production meeting, have we all seen Johnny Smith and Taz? We have. Yeah. With with apologies for next month's show, when this inevitably appears on Hardcore TV, shall we review it? Go on, if we shall. Let's do it. I've got some match notes. Let's do it. Right, this was on When Worlds Collide. It may be on TV next month. I don't know. It's Johnny Smith. Chris, do we know who Johnny Smith is? Uh, Johnny Smith uh, first appeared last month. He has come from all Japan, but mm. I would imagine he has got some British background um, because of how his style is. But and other than Johnny Smith, yeah, there's, that helps as well. <laughs> That, that's kind of the giveaway. <laughs> you know, it's, it's the standard British world of sport wrestling name. Oh, God. There we go, there we go. It's Johnny Smith <laughs> versus Taz with Bill Alfonso. We get lots of whistling from Alfonso. So maybe exchanges, Taz offers out a handshake and it's accepted. Smith hits the slap and that livens up Taz. Smith gets a headlock, then a shoulder block. Taz regroups on the floor with Alfonso. Johnny Smith goes to one leapfrog too many. Taz hits a release jam and suplex and Smith lands on his shoulder and his neck. That fucking whistle is just a line in my notes. <laughs> Bob, Taz uh, goes Bob I don't want to freak you out, but I've got the exact same three words. There we go. That fucking whistle. Taz goes for a hammerlock. Smith goes to throw a shot. Taz counters with an arm lock into an arm bar. We get a close-up of Alfonso talking us through the action and the logic behind the arm bar. Alfonso is great, is another line in my notes. That was really good. <laughs> Smith hits a German suplex for a two, then a top rope drop kick, but he runs into a T-bone Taz flex, then the Taz mission, and that's all over. Taz grabs the mic, says he respects Smith, and that he releases hold early. They shake hands, he, respect, he respects Smith, unlike Sabu, of course. And the final line of my notes just simply reads, Alfonso is just an annoying prick. Chris... Fonzie, our heel of the year, is still at it being an annoying little shit. Could, could win it again. Could win it again. Uh, uh, the, uh, more this... difficult this time, but he'd, he'd be in the running. 
The thing is, this year he hasn't had the promos as much as he did last year, but that fucking whistle. Oh, that fucking whistle! <laughs> it's been pretty much, you know, a standard for ECW this uh, whole year. The intro to this show is just going to be a minute of Bill Alfonso whistling. That's all it's going to be. If, if ever this show needed an intro like this, this is, this is the show to do it. <laughs> but as, as for the match, it was a clinic of, of wrestling, which again, as we've said before, when ECW does the wrestling part properly, mm. it's better than any of the other feds, hands down, because it lets wrestlers wrestle. You know, the one thing ECW does really well, and to an extent, they can do it better than the other two just because of the way it works. But one thing I've always loved about ECW, and it's not something that WWF and WCW cannot do, they really could if they wanted to, is ECW are very good, and it helps with the audience, at just establishing guys out of the gate as threats. In WWF, you've got to bring a guy in, you've got to get him on TV for a few months, have him win squash matches. In WCW, a similar kind of thing. ECW, here comes the guy, he's wrestled in Japan, he's good, put him in the ring, people buy him as a threat. And, and to an extent it works because they're in front of an audience that largely probably know who he is who heard of him. That's part of the problem that the bigger guys have got. But I remember when Sabu was, was at his height in 94, and Paulie Dangerously was cutting a promo about his program with Benoit, and this was before we really knew who Benoit was. He had been on TV a couple of months, didn't, months, didn't speak, and not see much of him in the ring. And Heyman said on the mic, Benoit is as tough a challenge as Sabu will ever face. And it helps because Heyman's got, even as a heel, he's got credibility. You know, Jim Cornette saying that on Raw, people are like, oh, it's Jim Cornette, he's a heel. Heyman, at least in a heel role, had credibility. And he said Benoit is probably the toughest challenge he will ever face. Go back and listen to our 94 ECW shows, you'll hear that promo in amongst all the others. And it's like, great, I, I now understand that Chris Benoit is a threat. And it works. And Johnny Smith comes in. I don't know anything about him. But within two minutes of the presentation, Joey Styles tells me Johnny Smith is a guy. Taz wrestles Johnny Smith differently. And in a couple of minutes, we're like, okay, this is an even match, an even threat. It's that small little stuff, Chris, that just really, really helps. And it's not mm. something it's not something that is easy for the other two to do, but both promotions could certainly do it. Well, Johnny Smith uh, first turned up last month and he had a sort of really good hard wrestling match with Coley and it shone a light on both of them and it was sort of one of those of a very sort of lucky pin got the win so obviously anyone that was at the ECW arena the month before which we as we all know the majority of them are repeat offenders in there they would have seen that match well, you know, you've got the same people in the same places with the same weapons. I believe they call them repeat customers, or you might call, you might call them fans. But I don't know if I, I don't know if I call them repeat offenders. Is, is this a shoot promo, Chris? You, what's, what's this all about? Well, I've called them all repeat offenders, but as a collective, that's a very, very sweeping generalisation. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, <laughs> anywho. No. <laughs> we need to go and um, prepare more often. <laughs> so, yeah, um, they would have obviously seen him from the month before and know of how good of a wrestler he was. So, obviously putting him in with Taz, who we all know how good he can be, you know, it worked really, really well. And, again, 
I will quite happily watch these two go at it again. Kieran? Yeah, I'll have, a, I'll have another match between these two. Uh, again, to sort of elaborate on what you were saying, Bob, about here comes a new guy. It's, we've always said that Heyman has this ability. No matter who they seem to lose, there was a kind of a one pay-per-view, maybe two two, not pay-per-views, but two events where the, you know, the roster was looking a bit, or oh, which way is it going to go if they leave, if they, you know, Guerrero and that left. Heyman has this innate ability, Bob, to be able to bring guys in, and not just any guys like the other feds do. He seems to be able to bring in the right guys and fit them in the right slots of facing the right guy first off. Because, like I said, Johnny Smith, could, this could easily, I, I mean, I had my, my notes and I'll be honest, I, I basically said, well, basically, this is going to be a squash match, is what I wrote down. But no, they give Johnny Smith some time. He looks really good. Taz looks, he makes Taz look amazing again. And then Taz actually gives him respect for it, which we, you wouldn't expect, like, the major heel to do, but he does. Um, but I just, it's just Heyman's ability to just bring these guys in. Like you say, not only are they, they come in and they're a threat straight away. He picks the right people to come in, and that's that's the key, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's not just that. He's just willing to put guys over before they get in the ring. You know, if if WCW are willing to bring in, you know, anyone from Japan and, you know, give them a few weeks build on TV and then have them come out and have someone like, I don't know, Arne Anderson come out and say, I know this guy's really good. You can establish a guy like that if you want to. They're just unwilling. I thought this match was, again, really good. It was a yeah. great wrestling match. It was a great story. And, you know, they've if they've got Smith back next month, I've watched this, I'll be like, okay, Johnny Smith's the name now. You know, really, really good. Right, to to add to the ad hoc nature of this show, I'm going to jump to the men's room, but we're going to keep going. Chris, if you can take over the show with with the question of what matches, sh- if, if November to remember is the big show of the year, what matches should headline them? You two discuss. I'll be back in a sec. This is one weird-ass show. Right. <laughs> if you so, get stuck, Bob, give us a shout. <laughs> right, so um, going into November to remember, yes. um, we would have to say your main event has to be either Raven versus RVD. Well, not Raven, RVD, even at all. Uh, Raven versus Tommy Dreamer or Raven versus Sandman. Because one of these feuds should culminate in your big show for the year. Yeah, I, I, I hope to God, I have, I've got the same here. I hope to God they do one of the two and the third guy doesn't come in interfere and we get some, I'm fearing we're going to get some sort of, what do they call it, a dusty finish? See, I don't, I don't, I, but I know that's what I'm going to get. I probably know I'm going to get some crappy finish. But the thing is, you're always going to get that because you'll have Meanie Sandman and or Meanie Stevie and ah, you know the yeah. the minions. Maybe what they'll do then is maybe what I'm, my ideal was is I want to see Raven and Dreamer wrap up. So Raven Dreamer wrap up, Meanie and Richards get in the ring. Sandman helps Dreamer clear the ring. Dreamer wins. Maybe. See, I would go the other way. I would have. Sandman and have the end to the whole thing with his kid and him to win back his kid's affection. Yeah. And have that as your big sort of culmination of the story. So that's the, that's the thing. They're both really engaged. They're both really good storylines. Mm. Um, obviously the second headline has yeah. to be Douglas and Pitbulls. Oh. 
See, that's that's going to... Oh, the... I mean, if you think, Chris, he had, if you think Douglas had heat going into the match with sort of base, not a nobody, but with somebody like Spicoli, imagine how that's going to be, the build to this, because there's been at least two promos on every TV show leading up, and, and Douglas is just driving the point home that Gary Wolf's not going to wrestle, and he's got mm. his woman. See, another obvious one would be Sabo and Taz, but I think you do something so they don't actually have a match. You you maybe put Taz versus RVD. That that can be an angle. Hey, that that can be, hey that, bloody hell, he's made me jump in. Just just sneaking up on people. <laughs> I'm back. That could be an angle. Where because obviously I think you you hold that off. You hold off Taz and Sabu. And you make it a bigger thing. You sort of make it. You make it a sort of mystical, sort of you know, yeah, I, I enigma on it more than yeah. just giving it away. Because obviously, if you're going to have Sandman and Raven, you're going to have Douglas and Pitbull. You don't want to give all three of your. You don't want to blow your load. Yes. Um. I would probably put the Gangsters against the Eliminators for the tag titles. Yeah. Money, um, money, money, money. Put the, I'd do something with the Dudleys all together and try and finish that off. Because I love Bubba Ray and how funny he is, but I don't really like the Bubba Ray versus Devon feud. So whatever to get that finishing out of the way would yeah. be great. Um, it's ECW, we need a wrestling match, so I would put Tommy Smith, or Johnny Smith against, I don't know, uh, Spicoli again, yeah, give yeah. them some time to have a wrestling match. I mean, I'd, I, I actually, ha- I, I would actually like, um, Smith and Spicoli against Furnace and Crawford. Oh, big boy tag match. Yeah, I like, I'd like it. that, you know, to open the show. And there's your show. I wouldn't open with that. I mean, well, I mean, they'll open with they'll open with Sandman just cleaning up anyway. But that's a <laughs> that that's a big match. That I don't know. I'd open with it. Carry on. I, I'm, I'm writing down my cards. So you guys keep talking, and I'll, I'll, I'll come back to you. Have we got any uh, flippy abouty people that we could put on first? Uh, well, we could see know. who who we could get hold of because obviously, you know, Conan's still in Heyman's phone book. Um, there's probably some people we could get from CMML or even New Japan or All Japan. Hmm. You know, you could, you could easily get someone in from from south of the border or from across, from the Orient and there's your flip to do match sorted. So, yeah, I, I, I feel that would be enough as a, as a, a, good, yeah. sh- a good show. Here's what I've got. Just Go been then. scripted down where you guys have been chatting. Gangsters eliminated the tag titles. Um, maybe even with a, I don't know, if you can work out a, like a loser lease town stipulation, something big on that. I don't know, something like that, like a, a blow off match to that. That's if you've been going for a while. I think that should end. Uh, we'll go with Douglas versus Pitbull two, with Pitbull one in his corner, uh, with the idea that. Douglas is about to win, and then Pitbull 1 whips off the neck brace, whacks Douglas over the head, Pitbull 2 wins, and then they write Douglas off for a while. Um, I've got Raymond versus Sandman for the title in some kind of thing with 
Tyler involved, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then I've just started spitballing here. I, I would incline to agree. I think Taz and Sabu will be too early. So I've got Taz versus Rob Van Dam as an interesting little match. If we're going to talk about Rob Van Dam and Sabu trusting each other or something like that, are you having Rob Sabu Van... anywhere in this match, Bob, or is he not? Um, not in this match because I've got. As, as my wild card match, Ooh. I've got Sabu against Bam Bam Bigelow. Good God! What <laughs> makes you think Bam Bam would be about? <laughs> well, he's he's around, isn't he? I mean, I don't think he's, he's alive. alive. Chris, he's, he's alive. Side. I mean, they want you know. I I I just like you know. I didn't want to be too predictable. Bam Bam Bigelow came to mind, and then you know all the other matches that will will, will fill out the card. It's not. We're not talking. We don't think we talk about the first pay per view. So I don't. But if it's going to be their big show of the year in November, to remember usually is it was the best show of nineteen ninety five as we voted on last year. Something like that. Uh, Chris, dissect dissect that. Well, pretty much sort of as as we sort of came across to me and Kieran. Um, obviously, we didn't have the Bam Bam Bigelow addition because we didn't think that side out, that far out of the box we're not, um, that good. we're not that good Chris see our two brains are not as good as Bob's one brain <laughs> but you know as it's pretty much the same card that we came with um, I like your idea of Pitbull 1 sort of taking off the the protective halo and sort of having that sort of rising from the ashes phoenix moment to sort of cost Douglas. Um, obviously, again, I feel that there has to be something with Tyler and Sandman to to end that because you know you can't really have a seven-year-old in a wrestling storyline for that long. Gets a bit weird. He's really creepy, that kid. Yeah, he has got a bit of the omens about him. He gives me the willies. Um, so yeah, and obviously. We need Crawford and Lafont in there somewhere for big boy tag match. Yeah, I really like that. I know it probably won't happen, but I, I really I, Crawford I like that. who? The furnace. Furnace. I don't know why Lafont. Lafont. <laughs> 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 Where am I getting that from? No, that was. <laughs> well, I, I think you just worked out Crawford being Crawford, and then you went Lafont. <laughs> what the hell is that? <laughs> Yeah, oh god. Let's, oh, let's, let's wrap up the show, shall we? Right. <laughs> Chris, anything else we should be discussing before we, uh. No, obviously, um, hopefully next month oh. we'll find out more of the ECW side of hopefully the WWF, prepared, but... of the WWF invasion and see yes. what, what goes on with that from there. Cause obviously, as I said, they, they don't even mention it on ECW TV this month. Well, if we're going to have an invasion, maybe uh, a, a WWF performer at November to remember. I don't know. Um, you know, maybe, maybe. Get uh, we, Wheel Shawn Michaels to Philadelphia for the big match with Shane Douglas. I mean, that... He'd get eaten alive. Oh, man. Imagine Douglas for a night just being this gigantic baby face. That'd be amazing. I don't know if, if I'm Shawn Michaels. I mean, not, I don't think he'd go, but that'd be a really bad idea. I don't know that I'm going to Philadelphia given, uh, yeah, it'd be great, wouldn't it? Douglas is like mega heels for one night being like the biggest face in the building. That'd be fantastic. Um, but yeah, like I'm just trying to think who they could get, well, maybe they could get fake diesel and fake razor. That'd do, wouldn't it? Um, you know, um, anyone else that, I, I think you, you know, I mean, if Hayman was given the choice, I, I, I'd be inclined to think he might just try and get Pillman and Austin back. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and I, I know they've had them before, um, but that would make sense and that would tie in well with what they've got, maybe an Owen Hart. Um, you know, if, if, if Paul Heyman's talking to WWF about an angle and he says to Vince McMahon, can I get Owen Hart for a night? I'd be inclined to think Vince might go, yeah, we don't use Owen that much. You want to use him? Part of this and angle? Let's do it. You could put Owen in a ring with pretty much the majority of that roster and you get a decent, just stellar match out of them. Yeah. Yeah. I, you, I think you that's keep him away from the brawler. About... You keep him away from the brawler side, but you put him in with a Sabu, an RVD, yeah, a Taz even, you would get oh, ta- a what? really good match out of them. Oh, yeah. That could be a lot of fun. Uh, let's wrap up this show. <laughs> With, with, with apologies to all involved, we're usually better than this, but yeah, it's, uh, ECW is the bastard stepchild, this podcast, and it's, you know, it's, it's the one, it's the one that I vacate when I've got better things to do, and it's the one that often kind of comes together last minute sometimes. Firstly, a thanks to the man who's in charge of this show, Chris Lacey. You're welcome, Bob. Next time. Steering we'll... the ship in, in some, any direction at all, but it's nice to have someone at the wheel. Reassuring to them. Yeah. Yes. Rudderless but, but, Chris Lacey. But, but, Rudderless but not driverless. Uh, Chris, thank you very much. Uh, you are holding this show together at the moment, just about. So that's uh, your your uh, contributions are very much appreciated. We will we will sort of you know get a, get a more standard format sorted and you know or, or any format at all next month. <laughs> Anything, you know. Yeah, le- less chaos. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Uh, Chris, tell me about your Twitter, about your WCW podcast, et al. So, uh, you can get me on my personal Twitter at Lacey555666, which is namely football, modern day wrestling, music, or video game stuff. Or, what you can do, which would be an amazing idea, is follow and listen to Super Brawls. Do it. Where we are just breaking in 1992... And about to record Super Brawl ninety or Super Brawl two, um, which sees Lex Luger leaving to go off to the Fed. Ah mm. yes, and great because yeah, we because we, Luger leaves and then he does some bodybuilding, yeah, and then yeah. he just ends up in ends up as Hulk Hogan two point and you can, you know, obviously Chris he probably won't be doing much of any WWF stuff. You can pick up. The start of the Luger journey on our podcast from '93. Got it. Like the Luger story, in many ways, is like one of my favourite stories of the podcast we've done. In the sense that we've kind of got the complete part of this WWF run entirely. Our first show is this big match against Yokozuna. We do all that build up, and we mm. see that start to finish. It's one of the first complete stories that we get to tell. Uh, and obviously, we don't get to tell the, 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 the Luger WCW pre '93 stuff, but you want to hear all about that. Super Brawls have got you covered. Chris, anything else? Anything more to plug? Uh, that is it. And obviously, you know, listen to all of the wrestling 20 years ago, because they're all amazing. All 86 episodes now. Yeah, don't, you, don't have to, you don't have to do them all in, in a row, but, you know. Yeah, you do. I don't, no, the, the, there are some people that do download those in one go, and I kind of feel like they're out Because it is 160-odd hours now. Like he didn't, sl- he didn't sleep. You get through it in about six days. Well, uh, if you do, I congratulate you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Kira Mitchell, s- sort of co-host this evening. What well, about sort of? I'm brilliant. Yes, Bob, you can get me. At- oh, sorry, sorry, yeah, <laughs> a- actual co-host, sort of host was what I was going for. Yes. 
Yeah. Where, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, they can find me at JotunThrash666. Excellent, excellent. Kieran, would you would it be any interest in hosting ECW next month? Would you like to promote yourself forward? Oh, uh, I'll give it a go, yeah, yeah. I might, might, might let that one linger. I might be on the show, but it's more the case of... Um, uh, I might be. We'll see. I, I, I may ask you about that. We're uh, oh. it, 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 ECW is our have I got news for you these days. We have a rotating group of presenters of which I am one. Anyway, some plugs to get out of the way. First of all, as I said at the top of the show, we are on Patreon now. For those who don't know, Patreon is a place where if you'd like to say thank you for us enlightening your lives and for this uncoordinated mess of a show... <laughs> Um, you are more than welcome to do so. We're not in the business of gouging anyone for money. I'm not going to sit here and make a plea. I'm not going to do a Chris Jericho and tell you that without ads and without money, this podcast cannot run. It's not like that. It's just more, one, I've got some overheads. Admittedly, we're already kind of covered with the people who already donated that. But if you'd like to say thank you, chip in a bit of money to me as a as a thank you for, you know, filling your commute or whatever, patreon.com forward slash wrestling 24s. It's five bucks a month at the exchange rate at the moment. That works well, about five quid, actually. He's just shy of that. Um, and for that, we are offering you early access to shows. What that means is is that we take these shows throughout the month. We're taping this on Tuesday. WCW show is going to be taped about five days later, and then that's going to get edited, and it's all going to go online. We take stuff throughout the month. It's about 10, 11 days ago we take the UFC show. It's about three days ago we take the WWF show. Stuff gets edited throughout the month. For patrons, when it's edited and when it's ready, we're not going to wait. We're going to put it on there for you. So as part of your your donation, you'll get early access to shows so you can listen to them when they're ready. Any help is greatly received. If you don't wish to, you're not going to miss anything. All of the in-timeline stuff's going to come in. We're looking at a bit of bonus content, but it's largely going to be, you know, stuff like... Q&As and things like that. I have promised if we do reach a certain goal, I don't think we will. This is why I put it there. If we do reach a certain goal, we are going to go back and review Battle Bowl. That is... Hey, I'm doing that free of charge. Yeah, I'll yeah. comment on that. That's true. We, That's should, true. Do, we should do a massive group one. We could. We could. We could get everyone on the show and just do a complete schmoz of an episode. Um, and we'll pair each other up randomly and it'll be really, really shit on the show now. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that sounds uh, awfully like a, a, a concept that WCW did in the mid early nineties. Uh, and what we'll do is we'll end up with all ten people on the recording for the final match review, and then I will just slowly drop their mics as we eliminate people from the final match. Okay, we've got to. Do, we, we may not get there, but that is that is the incentive. If you want to donate, the incentive is if we get to the McGregor money level. Then we will do Battle Bowl. Anyway, other plugs. Four volumes for you this month. Volume one, WCW, full brawl, taping out the weekend. Volume two, WWF, looking at in your house mind games. Including, including, as we said at the top of the show, including the ECW angle. You listen to this and you want to hear a bit more about that in Thailand. We discussed that for about five or ten minutes. That is on, uh, volume number two. You also just get, get to me here, hear me just rant about how shit Raw is at the moment. Uh, people talk about 2016 Raw being bad. And it's bad because it's three hours. 1996 Raw is bad because it's shit. It's but so it's only 40 boring. minutes. It's so boring. I mean, like, you know, it's just like, imagine, imagine a wrestling show with no star power. It's Raw from about June to, I think about November. I think we bottom out next month. 
That's volume two. Volume four is UFC looking at, what, UFC, UFC 11. We talk about hodgepodge shows. That's the UFC tournament without a main event because there was nobody to face Mark Coleman. Uh, and that will do that. You can find me on Twitter at Bobby Bamba. You can find the podcast on Twitter at Wrestling20YRS. Wrestling20YRS.com, podcast, blogs, iTunes links, RSS subscriptions, email newsletter, and kicking back up again, Patreon links, all the above. This has been September 1996, volume three of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. Till next time. Goodbye.